0: Hey, my name is Mike, and I'm the director of arts. I'm one of the teachers around here, and I'm really excited about today. You know, we're starting a new series that we're calling Made for This, hence the song, right? And um, you know, I-, I think it's pretty interesting that that title, Made for This, is so positive and affirming and motivational, and you feel it's so decisive, right? It's, it's like, at a core, it's what we all desire. We desire to know what we've been made for and to be living that out, right? I I, want to, I'm made for this, I'm going to be, I'm going to live it out. Even the song, you know, I'm born for the battle, so we'll fight for something where we're made for it, right? Forged in the fire, right? We'll do that, and um, if we are doing something that we we believe we're made for, we'll endure what others will not. Right, parents? Yes. Athletes? You know, the opposite is also true, though. You know, the best, most magnificent pair of ballet slippers, whatever that would be, I don't really know, are amazing, but not when you're playing football. Best pair of ice skates are fantastic, but not when you're playing basketball, right? Because they're being used for something that they're not made for. And uh, I'll tell you this quick story. This is, uh, when I was, I don't know, like a sophomore in high school, this this is like decades ago, right? I took, one job that I took uh, was, and if you've been in the marriage class, you've heard the story probably, but I, I, I took this job because the lure of great money, and um, the job was working at Stuby Doobie Ice Cream, okay? Stuby with a T, not a K, or a, or a C. Stuby Stuoby-Doo Ice Cream, and it was an ice cream bicycle, and their motto was they put a big freezer on the front of a bicycle that had handles with bells, and I think You'd ride around, they'd give you this, you know, this area you're supposed to ride around in the neighborhood and ring the bells, and people would get annoyed enough with the bells that they'd finally buy ice cream from you. So I head out, they drop me off, they say, here's your region, go, sell ice cream. So they drop me off at like noon, they're going to pick me up at eight, they say, be back at this spot. So I ride the bike for like, till like 2.30, net sales, zero. Then a gale force storm blows in and it rains for like two and a half hours, I, all I, I just finally find a place to get out of the rain. I sit there for two and a half hours. Finally, the sun comes in and burns off the rain. I start riding again. Lo and behold, a baseball park that has like four, four baseball uh, diamonds on it. I ride over there. I sell out of my ice cream in 30 minutes, sit there for an hour and a half watching Little League Baseball, go back. I made 60 bucks for the day. In 10th grade, back in 1980, that's some coin. And I get back to the shop with 60 bucks in my pocket, and I go, thank you very much. I quit. I hate this job. (laughs) I couldn't, I was not made for it. But here's the thing. I tell you that story because that's not just a me thing. We've all had experiences like that where you've engaged in something, you're like, no, sir, not for me. And maybe you've heard this research. This company hired uh, these unemployed people as day workers, and they, they, they paid them $9 an hour. And, um... They took them out to an empty field and they gave them a shovel. And uh, they said, okay, here's what we want you to do go dig this ditch. And so they gave them the shovel, they sent them out in the field, and all morning until lunch they dug a ditch. And then they came back to their lunch break, and after the lunch break they said, fantastic, you guys head back out, fill the ditch back in. And the people were all like, what? Why are we doing this? And they said, hey, this is, this is not yours to worry about. Just you're hired to do what you're told. Go. So they went back and they filled the ditch in. They, and at the end of the day they said, great job, you guys can head home. But if you come back tomorrow, we'll double your pay. Instead of $9 an hour, we'll pay you $18 an hour. That next morning, only half of the workers showed up. They sent them out with shovels and they said, okay, dig a ditch. They dug a ditch till lunch, took a lunch break. They came back after lunch They said, okay, head out, fill it back in. Why are we filling this back? Yours is not the question. Just do what you're told. They fill the ditch in. They come back at the end of the day, say, Great job. If you come back tomorrow, we'll double your pay again, $36 an hour. The next day, only half of the people showed up because they had no purpose to what they were doing, and they couldn't take it. Harvard Business Review took it a step further to try and understand exactly how important is meaning and purpose. And so they surveyed, they, 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 uh, they published this report called Meaning and Purpose in the Workplace where they surveyed 2,200 and like 85 uh, professionals across 26 different industries, different company sizes, uh, different personal demographics, different job descriptions. And here's what they found they found that more than nine out of 10 employees were willing to trade a percentage of their lifetime earnings for greater meaning at work. We go, wow, percentage, what's that? Here's what's fascinating they were willing to trade 23% of their lifetime potential earnings to have greater meaning in the workplace. Just for perspective, on average, we spend 21% of our earnings on our housing. This is significant. We are built and wired to live with meaning in our life. Uh, You may know Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl is an Austrian psychiatrist and Austrian neurologist, but more importantly, he's a Holocaust survivor, and he says this, he who knows the why for his existence will be able to bear almost any how. He who knows the why will bear the how. And this is a human condition, and it applies also to spirituality, and it leads us to our first point, and if you're a note taker, here's where you start taking notes, the first point is this, God created us with a mission. Okay, and I just want, just want to tell you this, as I'm talking today, I'm gonna to use the word mission interchangeably with purpose and with uh, meaning because uh, mission is kind of like a churchy word, right? If you, if you, if you don't go to church, like I don't, know what's mission? You know? Or maybe you think, oh, it's going on a mission or a missionary trip, it means to have purpose. And so we were created to live into purpose. And I want us to understand this, and if, um, In in Ephesians 2.10 it says this, this is is just fascinating, it says, for we are God's masterpiece and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We're We're not saved by what we do, but when we get saved, God has already planned good things for us to be doing. And that makes us part of our masterpiece, part of us being a masterpiece, is what we end up doing to those and for those around us. Last week, if you were here, you heard Alex Rahill uh, talking about finding the mission that God has for you. And he, he put it pretty simply, the mission is this. The mission is to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to grow in your relationship with Jesus, and then help others find their relationship with Jesus so that they can grow in Jesus and help others find their relationship in Jesus and so on and so on. But from the very beginning, God's God's plan for changing the world. And let's just, is there anyone out here who says the world is perfectly fine the way it is? Anyone out there? Because if you if that's what you think, then you can just check out, pull out, start playing some, some game on your phone. Here's the point. We all know that the world is broken, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's suffering, relationship trauma, and just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. We need changes, and God has a plan to change the world, and his plan is through a, what we call a blessing strategy. He wants to bless people, right? Even, even Abraham, who's the father of the nation of Israel, the kind of the father of all faith, was blessed relationally, He was blessed financially, he was blessed spiritually, but he wasn't just blessed to receive good stuff. God blessed him so that he and anyone following him, including Jesus and including us today, can be blessings to those around us. And This is really important because if you don't understand that you've been blessed in order to be a blessing, you will never find the purpose that God has for you in life. You will not find it. And I wish I could go into, I, as I studied this week, I found all of these research articles that talked about all the people who pursue happiness. And they, what they found is people who pursued happiness over their intended meaning in life were less happy, more depressed, less joyful. All of the fruits that you would think by serving yourself would come, none of them. The people who pursued meaning were more happy, less depressed, found greater value in life. Super important for us to get that, but it's not just because we want to be happy, it's because God created us to be a blessing. That's his master strategy. John 13 says it this way, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, Jesus Christ didn't come to get blessed, he came to bless us and he loved us and he said, okay, you see the way I've done it? And how did he love us? He loved us to the point of giving his life for us. He was willing to present his entire life for us. And he says, hey, the way, see the way I love? Love like that. See, this principle of how God accomplishes his will and how we find our mission, our purpose, and our meaning in life is demonstrated in a book written by this guy, Mark, Mark Russell. He, he talks about this, another research thing that they did. It was very fascinating. There were these two teams that were uh, sent uh, mission, missionary teams that went out uh, and two very different in what they were trying to accomplish. And they went to Thailand and um, there was one team that was, we'll call them the blessers, okay. And the blessers went with the sole intention of blessing the people around them. Right? And they would just say things like, you know, I, I'm just here to bless whoever comes my way, or I just want to be a blessing to the people in this community. That was their strategy. And they went. The other group we'll call the converters, they went with the sole intention of evangelizing people and converting them into their faith. They studied this for two years and they found two really, really important facts. The first was that the blessers had greater social impact and greater um, social betterment, social good, their environment, the people around them, everything changed for the better because they were concerned about the others. But this is the part that's really fascinating, that the blessers had almost 50 times as many converts as the converters, because they were more concerned about meeting your needs than serving their own agenda. And when we follow God's plan of blessing, things happen in the spiritual. So the question is then, what does it look like to be a blesser? How can we be a blessing? And what we're gonna do over these next few weeks is we're gonna be uh, looking at being a blessing, and this uh, information is from John Ferguson who wrote a book, and the book is called Five Simple Practices to Change the World, and we're gonna be actually literally spelling out what it means to bless others by using the acronym BLESS, as each of our weeks. Today, we're looking at the B of bless, and I want to tell you, honestly, this one's a little bit lame, but begin with prayer. It still works. But anyway, begin with prayer. And each week, we're going to look at one of the letters that's going to demonstrate what we're going to be talking about and how we can actually be blessings to those around. So today, begin with prayer. And it's, it's just really, our lives are so jam-packed. You know, our margin is so little. You know, we got commitments and we got soccer games and we've got dance recitals and hockey games and business meetings and small groups and workouts and, and emails and we're, you know, it just goes on and on. We're so busy and none of those things are bad either. Like I'm not, I'm not even saying those are bad things. But what can happen if we're not careful is that all of these things Busy out our ability to connect with God and hear what he wants from us and set a direction that's based on him, not on our own desires. We have to be purposeful, and that's why beginning with prayer is so essential. And if we'll just commit to prayer as the first step every day, our activities can actually become super purposeful and meaningful. That drop-off of my kids at their soccer game can be actually a meaningful, purposeful thing. And that can actually be a God-driven thing and a God-led thing. But it won't be unless I'm deliberately thinking about it like that. So we have to begin with prayer. C.S. Lewis says it this way. The moment you wake up each morning, all of your wishes and your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, in listening to that other voice taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. You think about this. I tried this for a while. When you wake up in the morning, try and keep a record of the very first thought you have. You know what happens in the morning, like C.S. Lewis says? You wake up and you immediately start pounding through the list of things you've got to accomplish and the meetings you have and the stressful people you're going to encounter and the hopeful things you're going to have in that day. And it becomes this, okay, i got to manage it. And here's what C.S. Lewis is saying, and here's what I'm asking of you too. If you can shove those all away and say, no, 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 before I get to any of that, I'm going to present all these things to God. And the very first thing I want to do is seek his will for my day. What would happen if you were able to do that? What would happen with your day if in every moment of your entire day you had guidance from God? Do you think it would be the same day you're experiencing now or do you think it would be wildly different? I know for me it'd be wildly different. Let me just tell you this too. I want to be really honest. I can only teach you this because I've perfected this No, the truth of the matter is, I was telling the band before, I'm actually not very good at this. It's very hard for me. I, I kind of view prayer often like, like the Hail Mary. You know, I've tried and tried and tried. I can't get it done. Let's throw a bomb, see if God can catch it in the end zone, right? But I'm trying to get better, and I'm consciously, purposefully deciding to try and make that an important part. Jesus says it this way in Matthew six thirty three. He says... But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What does he say? Seek what? Eventually? No, seek first. Seek first what? His His kingdom. That means his agenda, his will, his mission, his purpose for our days, and his righteousness, which just means right way of going about things. Seek that first. And what's gonna happen? Everything's gonna be great. That's what it says. (laughs) Seek him first, and then you can align your day with his will rather than trying to get him on board with yours and start and throw in Hail Marys all day long. All right, so how is prayer part of this? This is what's so important. When you seek him first, right? Prayer is, this is really important, prayer is how you discover your mission. You discover your mission through prayer. And, I, you know, if we're blessed to be a blessing, I think it's really important that we find out who we're supposed to bless, right? If we don't think about that, you know, you, you think about how often during your day you're not really thinking about anything except what you're doing, but if we actually intentionally are seeking the people that we can be a blessing to, it would change our interactions, I want to tell you about a story when we lived back in Michigan um, we, we had Susie actually my wife she was uh, she applied for a job we were, we were both teachers and she applied for this job and they got recommended to go to the next level so they' she, she's uh, interviewing for this and she meets this girl Karen who was uh, interviewing for a job in the same district and as they're sitting there talking because Susie's really nice and so she like she always strikes she's quite unlike me, but she's really nice, and so she strikes up a conversation with uh, this girl, and as they're talking, they find out they're both recommended for the same job, and they're going to let the the district decide who they're going to hire, right? Well, they're talking. They're just having a great time. Anyway, what ends up happening is they hire both of them in the district and just put them in different jobs, okay? And so Karen ends up at my school, and uh, Susie goes through the, uh, they do this, you know, you ride around the district and they show all the stuff and teach you the ins and outs and her and Karen end up on this tour together and they become really good friends. And so as their friendship is developing, uh they you know, Karen and Susie say, hey, we should get our together with our husbands, let's go out. let's do something, have some have a meal or something. So we go out and we have a good time. It's really nice. I like Michael. his name, is a good guy. Ends up he he's uh he likes fly fishing, I like fly fishing, so we start fly fishing together and uh you know Karen and Susie are having a great time. They become friends and they're like uh, we moved into a neighborhood, and they were building houses in our neighborhood, and Karen and Michael say, hey, um, would it be, would it be okay, you know, we, we're thinking of moving in your neighborhood, would that be weird? And we're like, that'd be awesome. So they, they uh, Susie's like, yeah, there's a house next door for sale, you should move there. And they're like, yeah, we'll how ah, about a couple, we'll move down the street a little ways. So... <laughs> Anyway, so uh, they move into our neighborhood, and we become really close friends. Uh, my son, Elijah, they, they have a son, Jack. They're the same age, and they become really good friends, and everything's really, really great. And so we're starting a small group at this time. And so Susie and I were trying to figure out who should we invite to the small group. You know, let's, let's start this small group, and let's see who we should invite. So we spent some time praying about this, and we pray about it, and we're like, I think we... Now, Michael and Karen were great people, but they weren't pursuing Jesus at all. So we said, uh, I don't know, maybe I think we're supposed to invite Michael and Karen. So we prayed about it, and so we felt pretty good about it. I had no idea what they said. And so we came up with this great sales pitch, and here it was. We said, hey, Michael, Karen, um, we're starting a small group. They're like, great, what's that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, that's where people get together, not on a Sunday, and we... Hang out and we, like, we'll probably eat some pizza and your kids will play together downstairs and then we'll like, talk about God and the Bible. But the people are really cool. I think you'd like them. And they're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. We, you know, we've actually kind of been thinking about this. We have kids now. We're trying to figure out what, what role does God play in our life? We're like, okay, well, that's cool. So they come the first time and they come the second time and then they just, they were just coming and over time, they, they find Christ, they start serving at, they hadn't even been to, I don't even believe they'd been to Kensington, the church we went to, before they found Christ, and they start uh, leading, when we move out, and, and we move to come here because we felt God was calling us to help start this church here in Utah, and uh, they step into leadership. And now, I'm, here's what I want you to understand about this story that I'm telling you. We are not solely responsible for them finding Christ. But I will tell you that because we were obedient to hearing God's voice say, maybe you should invite Michael and Karen, we had a peace in helping their journey toward God. And to this day, Susie was just back in Michigan last week, and her and Karen went to church together. And my, you know, we're good friends with them, and when they have struggles, you know, we talk with them, and we're still involved in their life. And the question is, so why do we do this? And the answer is pretty simple. If you want to find people that you can bless, you just ask God. And the model is by Jesus. Remember, he said, love the way I've loved. Well, look at this. Jesus did this very thing. Luke 6 says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And then it gives the list. Pretty fascinating, right? So Jesus, who is God, is going to pick his disciples. And what does he do? What does he do first? He prays. What did he pray? I don't know. Doesn't say. I would guess he's aligning his thoughts with God the Father. I would guess he's seeking God's wisdom in moving forward. Doesn't really say. You know, was there an audible voice going, you should pick Andrew? Pick Simon, call him Peter. Judas, look out for him. Pick him, anyways. <laughs> oh, I don't know, or maybe names just popped into his head. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a sign, you know, like when I wait, when I'm done praying, God, please have a meal. I don't know. What I do know is the first thing he did before pursuing God's call in his life and finding his disciples was spend time in prayer, seeking God. And I just want to take a little pressure off. When you're doing this, when you ask, when you're seeking God's guidance, Jesus was 11 for 12, you could argue. 92% still an A. Right? Is that an A minus maybe? Anyway, or, so maybe everything won't work out perfectly every time you do this, but but let let me just make this point too. Or maybe, maybe, Judas was supposed to be called, and it just didn't work out the way we thought it would. Right? So take some pressure off. When God's telling you to do something, you're like, there's no way you can be asking me to go with this Judas guy. If you feel God is leading you there, do it. Okay? And maybe you're ahead of me going, well, if Jesus was God, why did he have to pray? And right? I think it's, that's a great question, but I think w- w- one thing we can know is that in taking on human form and human flesh to become human make, made, meant taking on limitations. Maybe more than we ever imagined. And the thing I would say is this. Even as God in the flesh, he depended on God the Father and looked to him for direction. How much more necessary is it for us? Okay, so... Why do we begin with prayer? Because it's how we find our mission, but also, prayer is how we do our mission. And we need to be in prayer because man's ways are not God's ways, right? It's an interesting group of people that Jesus picked, don't you think? I wonder, like, if it was up to me, who would I pick? Well, I would pick the software developer the philanthropist, let me see, you know, I, my list would be so different. And this, interestingly, just, I just remember this. When we were starting to move out here and uh, we were getting a team together, the team that God assembled for us to move out and start this church and even the people who joined when we were here was not the list we had in our head. And God continued to do amazing things. But his group, Jesus' group, the people he picked, fishermen, corrupt tax collectors, violent political leaders, and some nobodies too. Just who were these guys? I I don't know. They were, a lot of these people were the people that we'd walk right past without noticing. But those were the very people that Jesus felt God had told him to call as his disciples and apostles. He began with prayer, but not only did he begin with prayer, he continued in prayer. Until his very last night on earth, before he gave up his life, he was praying. And he's praying, "Ah, not my will, your will, God. I want to do your will. I began thinking about this. I'm like, I don't, how often did Jesus pray? What does it say in the Bible? When I started looking through the, started looking through the Gospels, and it's quite fascinating. Here's what I found. He prayed alone. He prayed in public. And I could, if you're interested, I can give you the scripture references. But he prayed alone, in public, before meals, before important decisions, before healings, after healings, to do the Father's will, at his baptism, while speaking to Jewish leaders, giving thanks before feeding the 5,000, giving thanks before feeding the 4,000. And that's just, I, I ran out of time. What am I saying? That Jesus not only began with prayer, but he kept prayer at the focus and the center of what he did. It wasn't a one-time, I prayed, I'm good to go. Like getting married and telling your wife, I love you. If things change, I'll let you know, right? That doesn't work, and neither does prayer work like that. Prayer is about our connection to God and staying in tune with his will for our lives. Jesus prayed to discover his mission and make certain that he stayed on mission. And I love this verse, Luke 18. Jesus, you know, you remember Jesus would walk around and he would, tell, he would tell like stories, they call them parables, right? And there's a cow and a tractor and three pieces of wood. And, you know, and then the disciples were like, what is he saying? Right? But he, there's this one story, and I'm not even going to tell you the story, but right before he tells this parable, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. When should they pray? Oh, oh, always. He told them this specific story so that they would realize that in their life they should always be praying about every decision, about every situation that they're heading into. Make prayer the first thing. Connect your will, your thoughts, your heart with God's desire. And all too often, like I told you, I'm the Hail Mary prayer. But I'm also this guy sometimes who I pray and God answers the prayer and we start moving down the road. I'm like, cool, I got it from here, God. And my gut is maybe you're like that sometimes too. So here's what I wanna do as we close this morning. I'm gonna have the band come up. We're gonna do another song, one more closing song that I think kind of captures a lot of what we're talking about. But I wanna close with a quote by Oswald Chambers. Then I wanna give you some really, really practical steps, some practical things around how we can make prayer the first thing and the preeminent thing in our life that we're always doing. The quote is this by Oswald Chambers. Remember, no one has time to pray. We have to take time from other things that are valuable in order to understand how necessary prayer is. We don't have time to pray. We have to replace other priorities with prayer. And just so you know, any time you're making a decision, the thing that you choose to do is the highest priority for your moment, right? And so if you're prioritizing meetings and emails and music, whatever it is, above prayer, then you're saying that that's more important. And so... What I want to do is I want to ask you guys, and if you have something to write on, you can write this in your notes if you have the, uh, the notes or if you just in your phone and the notes. I really, really, really want you to do this, to commit to this this week. I want you to make three commitments. The first is to commit to praying for God's guidance, the very first thing you do every day. You wake up, take that first thought that you have, throw it out, or commit it to God but make it the very first thing you do, seeking God's guidance. Commit to prayer the very first part of your day. Second thing, commit to praying for every encounter you have that day. And that means you're gonna be in a state of prayer throughout the day. You're heading into a meeting, pray about that. God, give me the words to say the right thing. Help me have the wisdom to understand. Help me, whatever it is you need to pray in that moment. Commit to praying about every encounter you have that day. And the third thing is this I want you to pray through a Frank list. What's a Frank list? Glad I asked. A Frank list is this. Up here, Frank, you have friends, you have relatives, acquaintances, you have neighbors, and you have coworkers. I want you to literally find one person that you can put next to each one of those letters. Find a friend you're gonna pray for. Find a relative that you're gonna pray for. Find an acquaintance, a neighbor, and a coworker. And commit to every day praying for those people. And I believe with all of my heart. God will prepare, just like he prepared our encounter with Michael and Karen, our friends, an opportunity to present something that I believe would change their life, aligning their hearts with God and understanding who he is. Pray for these people and watch what God does. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for... uh, well, thank you first for demonstrating to us the love that you have. You have blessed us beyond our ability to even comprehend. You've blessed us in areas we're even unaware. Help us never take for granted the fact that you've blessed us in order to be a blessing to others. And we who are following you have the answer to every we we we, we have what you have given us, and that is the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the saving grace in our life, and that's the answer to every question that's out there. And so I pray that you would help us be bold, help us be clear in listening to you. Speak boldly to us. Help us hear your voice and know what you're asking us to do, and bring those names of the people to mind so we know exactly what you want us to do. Amen. So we're going to give you just a minute continue thinking through these things, and then we're going to close with a song.